Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. did you know, and I'm not making this up, I saw it on Twitter and then I fact-checked it, that according to Greek mythology, there was a half-horse, half-man named Chiron, or possibly Chiron, I don't know how to say Greek's words, who... What did like helped heal people and was in charge of like bringing medicine to folks, making this being the centaur for disease control. And it sounds like I made that up and just like like convoluted to get to the joke, but this is actually a thing. That's a great that Hank. That's a great joke. Did you write that? It's not a joke. One and two. No, I didn't. I Melinda Howard tweeted about it, and oh. people sent it to me on Twitter. Okay, that explains it. So someone else <laughs> wrote a great joke on Twitter that you then repeated, and it is that is a great joke. The centaur for disease control makes me briefly wish that I had Twitter again. Hank, speaking of which, do you know what I would have tweeted this week? Mm, no. Nothing. <laughs> no, that would have been a great call. I would yeah. have just stayed clear of the entire surface, which is indeed what I did. Hank, yeah, we record this podcast in the past. We do, yes. And so... It's, it's probably for, for best for our emotional health. For sure. But people always <laughs> think that we're responding to like a particular event when we express a level of discouragement or mm. fear or whatever. But we never are responding to that event because we recorded the podcast so distantly in the past that we don't know what happened that people think that we're referring to. Yeah. So let me just say about whatever happened this week. Oh, my God. This is all so horrible. I I feel very discouraged and I know that I'm not supposed to and I know that like the data tells me that life is getting better in every way, but I can't help myself. I feel a little discouraged. I I feel yeah. Uh and there are a number of people who I wish uh would take your advice and maybe even me, maybe. But I've had the thought several times this week, how do I keep this person from tweeting? But of course that's that's not my job and probably shouldn't be. <laughs> 
<laughs> probably shouldn't have that responsibility. But boy, I saw a bunch of zingers uh, recently and would rather not, and also would rather people not call attention to them oftentimes and give them even broader audiences. People love bad hot takes, but the only thing they love more than bad hot takes is the bad hot take takedown of the bad hot take. Yeah. And it's true. If you want to be the number one trending topic on Twitter, your best strategy is to have a bad hot take that lots of people mm-hmm. can then have bad hot takes on. Yeah, that's so true. You can hear more about my experience with that on last week's Delete This. Great. I also have a podcast. It's not about Twitter. It's called The Anthropocene Reviewed. <sighs> and The it's Daily really Beast just called it. I want to get this quote correctly because it hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Let me read you some Goodreads reviews in the meantime. Is that what we're doing? They they called it deeply weird and nihilistic. <laughs> I disagree. I think that... I know. I'm trying I, so hard not to be nihilistic. Yeah, like all of my of, mental of and your, emotional energy goes into not being a nihilist. One of your recent episodes was one of the one of the topics, but but then you turned it around. That's that was the whole thing. That was the conceit of the episode. All right. You don't have to you don't have to make me feel better about my deeply weird nihilism. This first question comes from Ola who <laughs> writes, "Dear John and Hank, the wheel is a superior way to get around, yet evolution hasn't gotten to it yet. Animals move around with feet and fins. There are no natural mm-hmm. wheels. Why?" Sincerely, maybe your only Norwegian listener, Ola not pronounced like cola. Uh-oh. Crap. Um, <laughs> Ola. Well, that, that tweet, that, uh, that message was uh, from Ale. Ola. Ole. Ola. Ole. 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 <laughs> you gotta ah. give us more than that. Ola. You can't tell us how it's not pronounced. Ola. You're just leaving us in this, I got this it, dirty, I got dirty it. ditch it of bad Ola's. No, it's Ola. Ola. Okay. John, you hit it right on the head there. I love it. I forgot the question because we spent so much time talking about why the are there no natural the wheels? <laughs> oh, uh, so first, so there are natural wheels in a sense. What? There's, so there's two senses in which there are natural wheels. One is that when different animals run, the the movement of their feet actually, like when we, like when a human runs, the movement of the feet actually sort of replicate a piece of a wheel that is coming down and, and rolling. We can't get the full wheel, but like our body has actually adapted to mechanically simulate a wheel without being a wheel. Secondly, there are actual things that spin in the way that an engine spins. It's very unusual and very cool. It was actually, some scientists thought that it was not real and it took a long time to prove and get scientific consensus around this. But bacterial flagella, like the the little wiggly things that E. coli use to move around, actually function as a rotary engine. And it has like, it's got all the parts that like mechanical rotary engines have. And the flagella actually spins inside and it spins perpetually at like 10,000 RPM, so extremely quickly, though they're very small, so it's easier to do it. And that's how bacteria move around. So there is that one example of a perpetually spinning engine in nature. It's very hard to scale up, of course, because twisting a body part, you have to have all the nerves and the blood vessels and and the things that sort of feed it to, to make that work, which is why the 
motor inside of bacteria, like that that thing that actually gets spun isn't connected in any way except molecular, like through like molecular bonds to the engine part that is doing the spinning. That's pretty fascinating. You can learn more about that while we're promoting our work at Journey <laughs> to the Microcosmos. Hank's amazing, extremely beautiful new YouTube series where he speaks to me calmly about the microcosmos while I get to look at very small organisms and not think about the broader nightmare. Yeah, just the very small nightmare that is the ocean of life that constantly surrounds us. Right, but I'm used to thinking about that. That's nothing new for me. <laughs> <laughs> this next question is from Juliana, who asks, Dear Hank and John, but mostly Hank, while we're doing me questions, I work at a coffee shop, and one of our regular customers is a conspiracy theorist. Oh, great. He is constantly coming in and telling us about all the lies that the government is feeding us. Seems very like a healthy thing to do to coffee shop employees. The one that makes me saddest is that he believes that space is a projection and that the stars and planets do not exist. How do I help this man understand that space exists? Only if you have enough life jackets, Juliana. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> No, I, I think that it's pretty likely that uh, this particular conspiracy theorist is really excited about believing things that are outside of reality and that that is empowering to them. And so taking that away, it would be perceived as a threat to their power. Yep. I don't think there's much you can do in that situation except serve the coffee and wish mm -hmm. that person the best and... Uh, yeah. In my experience, want, anyway, unless it's somebody who's really close to the person, it's really yeah. difficult to make a meaningful impact. Yeah, we we get we've gotten an increasing number of of messages about people who are dealing with conspiracy theorists who are more present in their lives than uh, someone who comes into their coffee shop. And it is it's very hard. And I don't really know how to confront that. Um, I don't yeah. know, even know if you're close with the person, I don't know how to confront it. Yeah, we get a lot of questions from kids, from like 14 or 15-year-old kids whose parents mm -hmm. are, you know, believe that space is a projection or that the stars aren't real or that, or or whatever, or chemtrails, mm -hmm. et cetera, anti-vax stuff. We get a lot of messages about anti-vaccine concerns mm -hmm. from kids who are like, how do I deal with this in my parent? And I wish that I knew what to say to them. It It's really difficult because people's beliefs, it's one thing if, it, you know, like, for instance, I believe that the Federal Reserve probably should not cut interest rates next quarter. Right. Like that's mm -hmm. a thing that I believe. I think that I'm right. But I also understand that I might be wrong. And it's not something that I believe so strongly that it becomes part of my identity. And if somebody disagrees with me, I say to them, like, what's wrong with you, you idiot. Right. Like, I yeah. understand that I might be wrong. Like, this is complicated stuff. There's lots of different cases to be made. But there are some things that I believe that are so central to my identity that when people challenge them, I do get really upset like that. And when people make, for instance, the idea that vaccines, you know, the MMR vaccine is, is dangerous or, or is a threat to the species or, or whatever, a, a central part of their identity, it's really, really hard to be able to talk to them mm -hmm. about it because 
any threat to that idea becomes a threat to their understanding of themselves. And of reality. I think that a lot of these things come from like trying to make sense of reality and trying to make sense of, you know, like if you are a person who has dealt with loss and like, like how sort of terrible and tragic, like just, you know, the fact that we are all mortal is... Sometimes people try to make sense of that by by putting it on the like sort of medical establishment as as they might call it and saying that there's some kind of conspiracy there and that like those people can't be trusted when be, be, in in kind of a way it's like seeing them as an authority and wanting to have like some agency over that authority when really what they want to have agency over is is like illness and mortality like which which we would all love to have agency over those things and so oftentimes it's like understanding where those things coming from can lead to enough understanding that will allow you to continue having a, a relationship with that person and maybe enough understanding to, because I think that it is important to like, if you can, to keep, you know, your family in your life, but also maybe enough understanding to like see this problem in a way that allows you to speak about it without immediately having those people feel that they need to, to defend their beliefs and thus themselves, which only makes those beliefs stronger. Yeah, it's a complicated problem. And I think when it's your parent or somebody who's really close to you, that's a different challenge from when it's someone at the coffee shop who you just, yeah. I think, have to wish well and, and hope that they do the right thing, which is always to leave at least a $1 tip. <laughs> I guess probably only in the really United great. States, it occurs to and me. It's... Like, it probably seems yeah. very weird to our one Norwegian listener. Oh, 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 <laughs> that you would tip coffee shop workers. But yeah, you should. Also, I think coffee shops mean something else. <laughs> this next question comes from Lauren, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I totally just put Norway in the same boat as the Netherlands, and I have no regrets. They both start with N, and they're both in Europe, and whatever. <laughs> Lauren writes, We're American. Dear, dear John, exactly. <laughs> they don't pay us to know stuff. <laughs> I don't, I don't know who they is. Well, I don't know what yeah. they pay us to do. <laughs> do they pay us to not know stuff? Is there a way that yeah. I can get paid to be ignorant? I mean, other than cable news? <laughs> Burn. All right, Let's get back at the podcast. We're in a rough spot. We're going to do it. Yeah. This next question comes from Lauren, who writes, Dear John and Hank, as a frequent listener to the pod, I'm also a frequent listener to the ads you run before and during the pod. What are SEO tools? <laughs> Are they side-end option tools? So eternally yeah. orange tools? No, you got it right first time. Side-end option. It's, it's, the, it's the different options for what you put your book and lamp on yes. at the side of your bed. Yeah, we want you to have all of the tools that you need to learn mm -hmm. about all of the side-end options that are available to you. Lauren, you would not believe how many side-end tables you can get <laughs> if only you follow all of the links yeah. in our ads. The other one that she listed that I really liked was Shark Eliminating Odor Tools, which... I, I actually assumed that you had written these, and so I added that one myself. Oh, no, I didn't. I yeah. didn't write them. I, I think, think Lauren important. wrote them. Oh, I see. I see. She also signed off simply extrapolating options, Lauren. Oh, it's very good. So, John, you know how when you go to the beach yeah. and you have a problem where your child comes back from the beach and has in every possible area very small rocks 
Right. Well, that is when you need sand-enriched offspring tools. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's search engine optimization. So when you Google something or Yahoo something, but let's face it, more likely Google something, <laughs> the list comes up a certain way because of search engine optimization tools, which are a bit of a dark yeah. art in the world of the internet, and I don't mm -hmm. understand them very well, but I think they are important, which is why, like, when you read, for instance, the show notes to Dear Hank and John, it's always like, Hank Green and John Green discuss, because people search for our names more than they search for Dear Hank and John, etc. Mm -hmm. But the weird thing about search engine optimization is that the idea is that, you know, you feed the algorithm the information that it wants, but the algorithm is trying desperately to not respond only to information that it wants, but it can't help itself. Yeah. And so we end up mm -hmm. with an internet that's optimized for Google.com rather than an internet that's optimized for like the human users of Google.com. Yes, you definitely see this with, with uh, YouTube, uh, where there was a certain period of time where it became really beneficial to not respect your viewers' time and to just drag out the length of your video as long as possible. And YouTube would be like, hey, people are watching this longer. And I'm like, God, could you just edit it at all? <laughs> yeah, right. M me watching something longer doesn't necessarily mean that I like it more. It just means <laughs> that I'm willing to sit here. Uh, it's one of my pet peeves. As a person who has worked very hard to say a lot of stuff in four minutes, I feel very old. You're very old. You sound you sound like an old man yelling at the cloud right now. I I am, and by the cloud, I don't mean the thing in the sky. I mean the computer <laughs> oh, that the computers God. that live That's, inside of a server somewhere. Not nearly that as cloud. good as the centaur for disease control, as dad jokes go. <laughs> All right, this next question comes from Ariella, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, climate change is real." Agreed. God, we're all on the same page. As a nation and a species, we've mobilized against many lesser issues in much larger ways. Is this a marketing issue? Do we need to market climate change like an aggressive threat? Should all of the Earth's graphic design and rhetorical resources be allocated to this? Glad I'm not under the sea, Ariella. But if you were under the sea, you'd have less to worry about, except for the acidification. You know what just occurred to me? No, I don't. In The Little Mermaid, when they're like, it's better down here where it's wetter under the sea, don't they mean mm -hmm. in the sea? Like, you, if you're under the sea... I see what you're saying. Aren't you in yeah. the dirt or whatever it is that's underneath the sea? So, like, the sea ends at the sea floor, and then... And so, then you're under the sea. You don't want to be under the, the mud. sea. Yeah, because it's not better there. It's not wetter. It's less wet because it's muddier. You want to be above under the sea, but right. below over the sea. Right. We're over the sea. There's probably some worms and stuff under the sea. Ariel is in between those two places. Yeah. I just I just want to call attention to what I see as the greatest failure of our time, Ariella, which is that super, the Little Mermaid doesn't use the right preposition when describing mm -hmm. her relationship with the sea. What well, was your question? Oh, right. Yeah, so climate change is real. And one of the challenges, but I actually think not the major challenge, one of the challenges is that lots of people don't 
think that it's uh, an important development Mm -hmm. in human history or that it's going to cause big disruptions in the human story. And I think some of that is because the future is unpredictable and people know the future is unpredictable. And so that's an element of it. I do think that some of it is a failure of marketing. And if you look, for instance, at the way that we handle cigarette smoking in the United States. It used to be that people just assumed that everyone was going to smoke cigarettes and there was not much you could do to move the smoking rate because people who smoked really liked smoking and it was really hard to quit because of the physical addiction. But we had this incredible public information campaign that dramatically reduced the percentage of cigarette smokers in the United States because of that public information campaign. And I think we could do that with climate change. I think we will do it eventually, but mm-hmm. we can't do it as like individuals or I, I, I don't think we can have as big an impact as individuals. I think we need the support of big institutions like nation states. Yeah, I often think about how we could like as like get more interest behind issues through good design and rhetoric that we use. We use it mostly to like sell Tic Tacs, which are fine. Yeah. But it like that's where most of that that energy and, and that, those resources go. And and I often think like if, you know, there's a lot of resources that go to selling bottled water and like very little that goes to selling tap water. Like no one markets tap water as like a good, cool thing that's good. And I think it's part of the reason why bottled water sells well is because tap water doesn't have a marketing budget. No, absolutely. Uh, we The incentives are to increase the total amount of consumption, which is good yeah. for economic growth in a narrow sense, but is likely very, very bad for the long, long-term future of the species. Mm-hmm. I yeah. do think that it's changing. I think more people are concerned correctly about climate change. I don't know that it will change fast enough. Or, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that we've got to accept the reality that in the short run, this is going to involve really significant sacrifice. And yeah, and that's a hard thing for people to accept, especially when there are everyday problems, like the problems that are all around us are real. It's just that the climate change problem is also real and and has potentially catastrophic consequences. Yeah. And I think that there is some, sometimes a mistake that like the, the solution is easy, but it, it does require, you know, a scaling back of economic growth to some extent. And that has consequences. But it's it's about whether or not we as a species kind of for the first time ever can look more than a few years down the road. And that, you know, to the extent that we manage to do it, I think that it will be a uh, something that that we as a species have never done before. And and maybe already to some extent, like we are working on a problem beyond the scale of any we have yet faced, which is somewhat inspiring and somewhat hopeful. It's just that like we have not gotten anywhere near the amount of action that is necessary. Which is hard. Yeah. I don't think that despair is the correct response, though. No. I think that it's not continuing productive. to work is the correct response. Yeah. Sorry, I was starting to feel despair. I was talking to myself, not to you, to be clear. <laughs> this next question comes from Stephen, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why are car horns so primitive? Should we have amazing, <laughs> adjustable, super customizable car horns by now? Mm. For example, shouldn't I be able to dial in my aggravation level before sounding my car horn, similar to the way I can dial in my sense of how frequently the windshield wipers should do their thing? That's a great 
great point. Like, we have customizable <laughs> windshield wipers, yeah. but we only have one car horn. Imagine the possibilities, even, comma, Steven. Hank, mm-hmm. this brings me mm-hmm. to my million-dollar idea for the week. Okay, it's time for a million-dollar idea. John brought a million-dollar idea. I got one from Twitter as well, but first we're going to start with John. Okay, so you know how everybody has a blood type? Sure. I think that along with the rest of your medical record, Mm -hmm. you should register a favorite song. And then when the day comes when you need an ambulance... As the uh-huh. ambulance drives, <laughs> instead of playing those horrible blaring sirens, oh my God. <laughs> the ambulance plays your favorite song. So, like, you don't have to, like, in this time of crisis, be listening oh. to the worst possible oh. sound. Instead, you're just listening to a yeah. very loud version of Old Town Road. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to take my horse to the Old Town Road, by which I mean my seriously incapacitated body to the hospital. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, like, I just think, like, how has this not already happened? It is a clear, unambiguous million-dollar idea. So I love it so much. What's what is yours, Old Town Road? No, pro- probably not. Although, I mean, so Sarah's Sarah's argument uh-huh. when I told her this million dollar idea, she had a few concerns. Uh-huh. First, she was concerned that people wouldn't update their favorite song, and so they would like end up <laughs> having the last song that they hear yeah. be like mm-hmm. their you know, their their song with their ex-wife or something. Right, sure. Or the like the thing that they really loved when they set up their insurance card when they were 16. Totally. But my counter argument to that argument is that like, wouldn't it actually motivate you to go in and update your medical record more sure. frequently yeah. if you knew that you were also setting your awesome ambulance song? Yeah, it's, it's, I like it. I I also like it from the external perspective of like, it humanizes the person in the ambulance. Exactly. I'm you like, want to oh, get out of the way because you're like, yeah. oh my God, it's another Barbara a, Streisand fan. It's a, it's a person in there. Right. It's just a huge B-52s fan coming down the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I so anyway, Stephen. I think you're onto something with the mm-hmm. car horn business, but I I don't think you've taken it far enough. Right. Exactly. I mean, I don't know how much time Stephen has between like when something occurs and when Stephen would, would like to honk. Because for me, that there's no time. It's an instant. <laughs> I don't have a time to adjust my windshield wipers in that moment. No, but, but I would like my every honk to not be a honk sound. Like I would love it if instead of just a regular honking sound when I hit the car horn. My car said something like, hey, get out of (laughs) here. Like, well, what I do need is a button that says the light is green. Yes. Because that's 90 percent of times that I honk. Right. No one in this town pays attention when they're stopped at a light. They just sit there. Okay. so my Chevrolet Volt, Hank, actually has that button. So Chevrolet Volt's the perfect car. I got to come with an emergency honker that honks like a regular honker. But there's also a Mm -hmm. button on the side that you can hit that's just like, hey, oh, hey, just just let you know. Hi. In case you're curious, you might want to look up from your phone. It's a 
It's a green light. I think my siren song would definitely be I'm Alive by ELO. So you could just like be going down the road and it's like, it's both speaking to me in the ambulance in this moment when I need an ambulance. Right. Telling me that I am alive, but also everybody around, like the person in the ambulance is alive. Right. And also that song is so, it rocks so hard. I might go with that disco hit, I Will Survive. You know, Mm, at first I was afraid, I was petrified. Or Hold On by Wilson Phillips. Oh, it's another good one. Yeah, I'm glad. Hank, I'm really glad that you agree with me that my million dollar <laughs> idea is a million dollar idea because it's so good. Yeah, I All right. love it. I don't know how to monetize it. No idea how to monetize. We'll figure it, but that out. Hank, idea. have we ever known how to monetize anything? No, <laughs> we'll figure it out. What's uh, yeah, the million have... dollar idea you got off Twitter? All right. So this this is Ian's million dollar idea from Twitter. It was posted earlier today. You know what would be a good idea for a company? You send them your favorite pair of pants yeah. and they copy them exactly <laughs> to make you your perfect <laughs> pants. It's called Pants Clone. <laughs> that, that is the Forget about ambulance songs. That is the best <laughs> idea I've ever heard in my entire life. How has it's that so not good. already happened? I know it sounds very expensive, like like to deconstruct and reconstruct a pair of pants, but there are so many rich people in the world. Like, look, it can't cost more than $200 per pair of pants, right? I don't know. I don't know how much labor goes into like doing a CT scan of your pants, basically. I would love that. I'm wearing my favorite pants right now, which means that I won't be wearing them five days this week. And it's such a bummer. Mm. Ian, I have a solution to that problem, John, which is wear your pants for five days in a row like everyone else. Well, but then they start to get so baggy that they're not my favorite pair of pants anymore. They're a different pair of pants. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I like my pair of pants to just hug my legs in all the right ways and none of the wrong ones. I yeah. love this idea from Ian. That is an actual million-dollar idea. I wish I knew how to, like, I, I would invest in that company tomorrow. If somebody out there <laughs> is making a highly customized pants clone pants company, hit me up. Pantsclone.com isn't even taken, John. Oh, my God. Hank, maybe we should just do it. You know, like, maybe we should just do it. <laughs> John, this next question comes from Sarah, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I was cleaning up my fridge today and noticed that my jar of red curry paste doesn't expire for almost 700 years. <laughs> this has made me think about... This has made... What? This has made me think a lot about my own mortality as well as that of the earth. <laughs> Do you think that this red curry paste is going to, to outlast the human race? And most importantly, how do I get rid of this? I don't want to have a jar of red curry paste until I die (laughs) and have to bequeath it to someone in my will. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, Sarah. P.S. I'm looking forward to attending your Minotaur in Minneapolis. John, I think that there's a misprint just to get out ahead of it. Well, I mean, you don't think that there's a misprint. There is a factual misprint. But like more importantly, there's a very easy way to get rid of red curry paste and it is to use it in its desired fashion, make it into poop. Yeah. No, I mean, you should eat the you should eat the curry paste. We all agree about that. There's no question that you should eat the curry paste. Mm -hmm. It's fine for years, for as long as you need it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I do 
I mean, I'm guessing that it's, it says that it goes bad in 2719, which means that it probably goes bad in 2019. So he's probably scarfed down that red curry paste, not like with a spoon or anything, but... But even if it says it goes bad in 2019, it doesn't really go bad Actually, until at least true. 2020. We're talking about curry yeah. paste. We're not talking about milk. Right. There's that uh, viral image of Himalayan sea salt that has an expiration date on it. And it's just like, it's a rock. <laughs> it's rock. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's mil- it's millions of years old rock. Right. I mean, to be fair, it, it was it was from when the Himalayas were in the ocean. <laughs> That's how it's okay, gonna be okay. Yeah, I think you can eat the curry paste, and I don't think you need to worry about your own mortality happening before right. you finish the curry paste, unless there's something that you know that we don't. Well, it is it is all often. I think it's some, something that people are a little freaked out by when they realize that like the plastic bottle that you drink your Diet Dr. Pepper out of is going to be on the earth for longer than you. That is a little bit upsetting, but there it is. Yep. Get used to it. You're going to die and plastic lasts forever. So use less of it. It doesn't last forever. It just lasts for hundreds of thousands of years. It will last much longer than our species. That's for sure. And at the moment, we're recycling very little of it. Hank, when you think about where we are in the human story, mm-hmm. like Tuatara have been around for 250 million years. Yep. Humans have been around for 250,000 years. Yep. Where do you think we are percentage-wise? Like, are we in the first quarter? <laughs> we actually did a SciShow video about this, so uh, there's, a, there's a number of different ways of looking at it, but, like, the way that you're asking is just, like, my opinion. Uh, gosh, I really want to be hopeful. I think it's hopeful to say that we're in the third quarter. <laughs> We might have different oh, definitions God. of hope. Yeah, I, I, you know, I want us, I want us to be around for 250 million years, John. If we're in the third quarter, that would mean that I, there are like a thousand generations of humans to come after me. Yeah, it's true. But I want, I, it'd be great if we had the lifespan of a Tuatara. But like, we are a lot more uh, complicated than Tuatara uh, in terms of like what we can accomplish. So I I think it's really hard. It's just really hard to know. Like nothing on earth has ever happened like us. We are a unique thing, a unique occurrence in the history of earth. And so we have no idea. There is no way to get that data. This is like when I asked President Barack Obama if I should name my daughter Eleanor or Alice and he <laughs> wouldn't bite. Yeah, no. I just, ah, uh, gosh. Uh, I hope that there is less and less suffering every year forever. Well, I've got good news and bad <laughs> That's how I answer every question from now on. That'd be a great... Just uh, play it safe. That'd be a great like presidential answer, too, if somebody were like, yeah. what's your policy on healthcare spending? And you'd be like, you know what we need to do? Reduce the overall amount of human suffering. And that's what I'm going to yeah. do when I'm president. I'm going to reduce human suffering. I've only got one platform, and it's reduce I like human pie! <laughs> All right, Hank, we have another question. This one's from Abby, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I caught a frog just for fun, and now it's in my mom's car, and I can't find it. What do I do, Abby? (laughs) Abby, I just want to say how much I appreciate the fact that your question was short. It contained no extraneous information, but it also didn't contain 
like too little information. You didn't leave anything out. It's the perfect question. <laughs> yeah, because because my first question would be, why did you catch a frog? And it, you say just, just for, for fun. fun. Yeah, which is, I guess, the only reason. Um, no, I mean, you might you might, uh, for instance, be trying to generate a prince. You might right. Be, yes, there's that. There, you remember when we were kids? That people believed if you licked the back of a certain toad, you could have mm. a hallucinogenic experience. That is actually true. They're just those toads don't live in Florida. Oh boy, I licked a lot of toads for no reason then. <laughs> yeah, only only one of them turned into a man. Uh, well, that's not what you were going for at all. Yeah, it could be like post-apocalypse, and you are really hungry. That's another reason to catch yeah. a frog. There's a bunch of reasons to catch a frog, but we know why Abby caught that frog, which was just for fun. And now it's in Abby's mom's car and she can't find it. What do I do? <laughs> I would like to know how big the frog is because there are some very small frogs in the world. Some are so small that they could get into a place in a car that a human cannot get to, but also so small that when that frog dies there, it will not be of consequence. So here's my theory, Abby. There's a 99% chance that this frog is going to get out of that car. And let me tell you how I know. I know mm. because just today, a mouse ate some of my peanut M&Ms out of my car. <laughs> so I know for a fact that mice can get into and out of cars. So, so can frogs. That's the end of the story. <laughs> Yeah, that's how you lost the frog. The frog is gone. The frog is out. The frog was yeah. like, I was just caught just for fun. I am not being a party to this nonsense anymore. <laughs> By the way, you know who wasn't just having fun? The frog. Yeah, the frog. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, the frog goes back to like its frog family and is like, so I've had a day. <laughs> I mean, what? So the only like, the only other thing that you can do here is like sneak out at two o'clock in the morning with your iPhone fully charged, turn on that flashlight and go through every inch of this car trying to find a frog. I don't think that there are frog traps that like are good, like have a good outcome for the frog. So you don't want that. I think you have to search the frog and then your mom comes out and like, what are you doing with your iPhone in the car? And you're like, you got to just say that you're like out there smoking marijuana or something less <laughs> incriminating than the actual situation. <laughs> I'm just uh, licking the back of some hallucinogenic toads, mom. No big deal. Definitely not yeah, looking for just... a frog in your car. I wouldn't be <laughs> like me not. at all. Yeah, nope. it's just not going to be that big of a deal. Here's what's going to eventually happen, Abby. Your mom's either going to find a frog or a frog carcass, and your mom will be like, oh my God, I found a toad in the car today. And you'll be like, mom... I'm pretty sure it was a frog, actually. And then that was your mistake. <laughs> and that's how you're going to get found out. It's like a Columbo <laughs> moment where your mom's going to be like, hmm. <laughs> well, well, then. <laughs> oh, God, John, which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by Secret Car Toads. You got that secret car toad. You're hoping it gets out of the car, but maybe it doesn't. Now it's just a secret you have to keep for your whole life. Pretty good name for a band, Secret Car Toads. I'd listen. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Personalized Ambulance Songs. Personalized Ambulance Songs, Ooh. John's first proper million-dollar idea. And this podcast, of course, is also brought to you by Space. Space. It definitely exists. It does. Not only do we have a bunch of satellites up there, we've sent persons. Yeah, human beings. And chimpanzees, a number of species. Do they think that there's no rover on Mars? 
I guess they don't think that there's a yeah. Mars. Yeah, they no. I mean, there are people who think that the Earth is flat, but the other planets aren't, John. Oh. Well, that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how else to respond to that. And today's podcast uh, is brought to you by Super Experimental Orchid Tools. Super Experimental <laughs> Orchid Tools, the most important SEO tools available today. Yeah. I mean, how else are you going to get your super experimental orchids happy? We also have a Project for Awesome message from Dan for Etvid. Hey, Dad, I'm on the pod. Well, vicariously anyway. <laughs> I just wanted to say how glad I am to have the chance to bring you into this weird subculture. It's not often that we share similar tastes, but having this between us has been an amazing experience, and I don't think I say that often enough. Thank you for being the absolute best, Dad. With love, Dan. Dan, I'm just going to rewrite the end of your uh, Project Frosted message real quick. I love you, Dad. Dan. <laughs> it's so hard to say that to our dad sometimes, Dan, but it's really important. So I, I thought that I would just do it. That was really sweet. That was very, I liked it a lot. That is sweet. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Thank you both for being part of this community and for sharing it with each other. John, I have another question for you. It comes from Claire, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I was just at Hank's paperback release show in Austin. Thank you for coming. It was super fun. And while waiting for the show to start, the mother of a friend of mine uh, that I made in line offered me Tic Tacs. Only she mentioned that she had to sneak them in since the venue didn't allow food. This seemed <laughs> wrong to me, as I do not consider Tic Tacs to be food. They have calories, but like, so does dirt. However, everyone there seemed to disagree with me. Please settle this. Our Tic Tacs food fly me to the moon claire p.s thanks for the tic tac tyranny's mom i think the p.s was very important sorry yes it's good hank i think that you will agree with me that tic tacs are not food altoid mints are not food and gum is not food and so you can bring in fact you must bring all of those things into events like for instance our mini tour on august 16th and august 18th in respectively madison and minneapolis because 
They are not food. Mm, I see where you're going And if here. you want them during the show, you will have no other way to acquire them. I have to posit that mint Tic Tacs are not food, but orange Tic Tacs are. That is the kind of BS that is destroying this country. Did I ratchet it up too much? I can't, I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, because like a mint... You can just have mints in your in your pocket, and that's fine. But an orange Tic Tac is basically an orange. Hank, do you want to know how many calories are in an orange-flavored Tic Tac? It's going to blow your mind. One. None. That's not so true. So they're not food. End of story. <laughs> they're rounding. They're, they're rounding yes. peculiarly. <laughs> they're not food. They're a rounding error. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that like like Tic Tacs are food in that if you eat them, they are di- they are metabolized like food. They are not oh, wait, food it's two. in that they it's are two. not. I was wrong. It's two. It's two. <laughs> okay. Probably should have researched two. that before sounding so yeah. authoritative. It's 2019, John. You don't have to actually know things to say them. <laughs> Hank, before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, and mm-hmm. I mean, our great national nightmare is over and AFC Wimbledon season has begun again. But before we get there, I need to read you this very important email that we received from Kelly. Hello, Brothers Green. Just to help alleviate your grossed outedness at saying Ralph Loren, you were right the first time. His name is actually pronounced Lauren, like the woman's name. Source, I was an executive assistant at RLHQ for a while when I first moved to New York and worked with the CFO as well as the EVP of Women's Design and met Ralph on a number of occasions, mostly regarding bringing him food in lunch meetings. I have not to date been in an elevator with him. I'm also the Getty (laughs) photographer who photographed both of you in San Francisco on the Turtles All the Way Down tour. Thanks for being a lad. Kelly. Well, thanks for the photo. Next time you are in the same room as Ralph Ralph Lauren, can you ask him what the joke (laughs) that Rachel made was? Also, Kelly, I have to say that I very rarely remember anything that happens in my life, but I do remember being photographed by you in San Francisco because you did such a great job and made both Hank and me feel so at ease and happy. So Mm. thank you. It is a a really wonderful memory. I hope that we did okay as subjects. (laughs) All right, Hank, I'll start. I'll start. I'll start. Don't worry. AFC Wimbledon are back in League One, yep. the third tier of English football. Yep. We survived on goal difference last season. Mm-hmm. Our season has started. And you know what, Hank? Yeah. On the morning of August 1st, mm-hmm. I woke up and I saw that AFC Wimbledon was at the tippy-tippy top of the League One table in first place. And you know why? Alphabetical order. Alphabetical order. We played our first game against Rotherham. <laughs> And we lost. Uh, we did score a goal, which was yeah. encouraging, and it was a good. Mm-hmm. It was a good goal. Joe Piggott scored it, which is encouraging too, because it means he still plays for AFC Wimbledon uh, uh-huh. and has not been been uh, sold yet to a uh, club in a higher division. We gave up a really dumb, annoying goal in the 29th minute, and then we scored a kind of beautiful goal mouth scrambly goal at the start of the second half, and it looked like AFC Wimbledon were on their way to a opening day draw, but then in the 84th minute, we gave up a goal. Clark Robertson scored for Rotherham, and they won 2-1. Now, you'll recall that last season, 2-1 was the exact scoreline that we lost like 30 games by. Hopefully, that is not going to be a tradition moving forward. This weekend or in the past, as people are listening to it, we will be playing Fleetwood 
a game that is theoretically much more winnable mm. than our first game. Okay. Even though Fleetwood is currently standing atop League One, it's only after one game played. I think we can win this one. We are going to have to start winning games at some point. But, Hank, but despite the fact that we did not win our first game, we are out of the relegation zone in 16th place because several teams lost their games by more points. Oh, all right. Middle of the pack. There you go. Is that right? Is it the middle of the pack? Middle of the pack. Okay, I was right. Well, John, in news from Mars, at the end of July, SpaceX got its Starhopper to hop. Uh, do you know about about the Starhopper, John? Uh, yeah. It is a prototype version of the Starship, the tall stainless steel rocket that uh, SpaceX continuously renders on the surface of Mars, looking very cool. And SpaceX hopes to use it to send humans to Mars one day before 2028. So scientists at SpaceX wanted to see if the Starhopper could actually fly. Uh, so they've been trying to make those tests happen, that that has been uh, a, a rocky start. The whole plan uh, was to get the rocket to gently lift off the ground about 60 feet and then to gently touch back down. First, there was a weird fireball on the launch pad that delayed the test a few days. And then the first test ended extremely quickly when the rocket shot flames out of the tip. Oh, boy. And then finally, when they tested it again the next day, the SpaceX team was able to get the Starhopper to do its 60-foot hop. All of these tests are just in preparation for the actual rocket that SpaceX hopes to send up. So they've also been working in Florida to create more space for a launch pad that will be used when the Starship is ready for liftoff. So SpaceX Starhopper has hopped uh, one hop closer to the Starship being a real thing with real humans into it, really taking people really safely to Mars. That would be really cool. After 2028. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the podcast is called, John. It matters that we're brothers and that we love each other. Do you think, if you had to make a bet today, do you think that it will be a private company, SpaceX or other, that gets the first human to Mars? Or do you think it will be a national government? Um, no, I think it's going to be a national government. Yeah. I think that, of course, there will be many private subcontractors, which there were, you know, have always been in the space program. Right. Um, and SpaceX, I'm sure, will be involved in that one way or another. But no, I don't think that that like Elon Musk is going to come up with trillion dollars to send people to Mars. You know what I just found out? I just found out that two of the teams in League One, the third tier of English football, for being naughty or having debt or something, I can't really follow it, are starting out with negative 12 points. Wow, that's great news. And obviously, you'd never root against anyone for any reason. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> uh, is it any of the, uh, any of the, the, what kind of teams are they? It's Bolton and Barry. I mean, do they, are they going to like dig out of that hole pretty easily? Not based on the results of their first games. All right. So, wow. We'll see. Negative 12 points. Maybe that'll make it a smidge easier for us to uh, hang around. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Life is full of life is full of twists and turns. And the 2019-2020 EFL League One season will be no exception. John, thank you for making a podcast with me. It's always good to have you there in my life when uh, the world is a little tattered around the edges. Um, Same. So thank you. Same. And thank you everybody for listening. This podcast is 
is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti, which is a new name to add to the list. Thanks for helping us find cool stuff to think about and talk about. Our head of community and communication is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.